Welcome to the Parsha Perspective. Each week, we will delve deep in a weekly Torah portion to find a practical and insightful way to enhance your daily life. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Rabbi Shalom Yimini, and each week we will look into the weekly Torah portion to find practical and insightful ways to enhance your daily life. This week's Parsha perspective is in memory of Rachel Basichia, Yaakov Masud, Shlomo ben Edward, Edward ben Ephraim, and my grandfather, Rabbi Huda ben Aaron. May their souls be uplifted and may their memories be a blessing. This week's Parsha perspective is in honor of the Rafua Shalema of Shaul ben Brita, Sasson ben Sal ben Batia, and Yerachmiel Daniel ben Tova Basha. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. This week's Parsha perspective is in merit of the Orachim HaKadosh Rav Chaim Ibn Attar, one of the commentaries I use frequently. Because his Yorzeit, the anniversary of his passing, is the, on the 15th of Thomas, which is the release date of this episode. He was a great Kabbalist and a giant Torah scholar, and both of these unique attributes are reflected in his amazing commentary, the Orachim. He's one of the few people that has a Kadosh at the end of his last name, the Holy. He passed away in Jerusalem during Shabbos in 1743, less than a year after arriving in Israel. The story is told that on the same date in Europe, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, was sitting with a student at the last meal of Shabbos, when he suddenly exclaimed, the light from the West has been extinguished. The holy Rav Pinchas of Karetz said that the Sefer Arachayim protects the home, and learning it has the same effect on the soul as learning the Zayar. In his honor, may we merit the coming of Mashiach and the ultimate redemption. This week's Torah portion is Parshas Balak. Our Parsha tells us a story of Balak and Bilam. Balak was the king of Moab and was worried about his upcoming battle with the Jewish people. Moshe and the Jewish nation just won their wars with the powerful countries of Emor and Bashan. So Balak recruited Bilam, the famous non-Jewish prophet, to curse the Jewish people and hopefully defeat them in battle. When Balak's messengers came to Bilam and told him of his request, God appeared to Bilam and said that he is not allowed to curse the Jewish people for they are blessed. And Bilam sent word back to Balak that God does not allow him to curse the Jewish nation. In response, Balak sent even more prestigious messengers and promised him great riches in return for his service. But once again, God appeared to him. But this time, God allowed him to go provided that Bilaam only says the words that God tells him to. At the beginning of Bilaam's trip, Hashem placed an angel with a giant sword in his path. And the donkey saw the angel and did not want to move. However, Bilaam, who was oblivious to the angel, started to hit his donkey. And the Pusuk tells us something miraculous, that the donkey turned to Bilaam and said, What have I done to you that you have hit me three times? At this point, Hashem revealed the angel to Bilaam, who bowed down before the angel, asking for forgiveness. The angel told him to continue on his journey, but reminded him that he must say only what God tells him to. When Bilaam arrived in Moab, he instructed Balak to bid seven altars and begin to offer karbanes, offer sacrifices to God. However, instead of cursing the Jewish people, Bilaam began to shower them with blessings. When Balak got angry, Bilaam reminded him that he can only say what God tells him to. So Balak took Bilaam to another location, hoping that Bilaam can curse the Jewish people from there. They built more altars and offered more sacrifices, and again, Bilaam repeats a blessing for the Jewish nation. The entire process repeats itself for a third time, and yet only blessings have come out of Bilaam's mouth. At this point, Balak despaired of accomplishing his goal and sent Bilaam on his way. However, a question comes to mind. When Bilaam gave up his hopes of cursing the Jewish people, the Pasuk tells us that he saw it was good in the eyes of God to bless the Jewish nation. So he turned his face to the desert. But where was Bilaam facing before that now he turned to the desert? And furthermore, why does the Torah need to tell us which direction Bilaam was facing at all? The Rabbeinu Bechayar of Bach ibn Usher, a Spanish commentary, gives a simple answer. 
He explains that the Jewish people were in the desert right next to Moab, and therefore King Balak was afraid of being defeated and overthrown in battle. From the time Bilaam came to Moab, he specifically was not right next to the Jewish camp. Instead, Bilaam took him to a mountain where he could partially see the Jewish camp. But when he wanted to bless the Jewish nation now, he went down to face their camp to focus and concentrate specifically on them. He wanted to make sure that his blessings that he was about to give would take full effect and impact the entire Jewish people. However, the Orachim HaKadosh gives a deeper and more profound explanation. He writes that Bilaam was still trying to curse the Jewish people. And he learns this because the Pasuk tells us that it did not go like last time when he was searching for bad omens. Meaning that Bilaam's blessings were not for lack of trying to curse the Jewish people. In fact, this was the reason he turned to the desert. The Arachim HaKadosh explains that Bilaam suddenly turned to the desert to arouse God's anger against the Jewish people. Since the golden calf, the gravest sin the Jewish nation ever did was done in the desert. Bilaam looked to the desert to remind God of the nation's betrayal and unworthiness of his blessings. He also adds that based on the Zayar, the desert is described as the home of the angel of death. So Bilaam turned and looked towards there to provoke and prompt the angel to do his job, heaven forbid. The Yorachim continues that on the next Pasuk, he explains what Bilaam saw when he looked towards the desert at the Jewish camp. He saw the ultimate level of Jewish unity. He saw that their tents were arranged and set up in a manner that each tent had privacy. He realized that there was respect, peace, and harmony amongst the Jewish nation. As the Pasuk writes, Vayisa Bilaam as Enav, Vayar as Yisrael Sheikhin Tavlishvatav, Vati Alav Ruach Lekim. And Abilam looked up and saw that the Jewish people were encamped tribe by tribe and the Spirit of God came upon him. The lesson the Arachayim learns from here is extremely powerful. That when there is unity between the Jewish nation, nothing can anger God. Not even the worst sin that the Jewish people ever committed, the sin of the golden calf. That when we are united and act like a cohesive nation, the blessing of God flows freely amongst us. In our daily life, we must understand that generally it is only in times of disasters and tragedies that unites and unifies our nation. However, the blessings that we receive through being united in a peaceful period are much greater than what we would obtain during a difficult period. Therefore, we must go out of our way to look for methods to assist and help those that need it. But most importantly, we must engage, converse, and approach people whom you disagree with. and Let them know that you care about them for they complete your nation. There's an amazing quote by Winston Churchill. When there's no enemy within, the enemies outside can do no harm. Have a great weekend and good Shabbos. Thank you for tuning in to The Parsha Perspective. Check out our website, theparshaperspective.com. Send thoughts and comments to theparshaperspective at gmail.com. Till next time, thanks for listening.